Earl Erskine and I discuss Joseph Smith's 28th and 29th Plural Wives next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. We've taken time out from time to time from other topics that we do on our show to uh, present to our viewers the stories of each plural wife of Joseph Smith. And this time we're going to talk about two of his wives, his 28th and 29th plural oh, wives. A couple more. <laughs> we're getting to, to the end of his many, <laughs> many, many, many wives. Words. Now, there are still many in Mormonism who did not and still do not know or believe that Joseph Smith actually lived polygamy as prodigiously as he did and that his marriage included having sex. Now, they may admit that he was sealed to them Mormon, Mormon marriage style, yeah. so they could be plural wives in heaven, but they married him for eternity only. However, history, personal testimony, and legal affidavits and eyewitnesses have told a different story. He married most of his wives for time and yeah. eternity. Yeah. So since he married wives for time, and eternity, what does the word time mean? What part of, of time, and why would he do that if he didn't take care of them as wives? <laughs> yeah. So what is the reason in Mormonism to be married for time if it isn't to partake in marital relations in this life? And don't forget that the Book of Mormon allows polygamy only if God specifically requires them to raise up children. That's right. And that would be the time part. Of course, we've talked about this many times in the past, and it amazes us how mainline LDS members remain in denial of the truth of the early Mormon and Joseph Smith-style polygamy. Those who work so hard to protect Joseph Smith's integrity and reputation fail in their attempt when the historical facts are acknowledged. The two plural wives that we're going to present this time were not very well known in historical events. One was an older woman, almost 20 years older than Joseph Smith. That's unusual, isn't it? It's quite unusual, yes. And we find that neither of them have little negativity attached to their actual marriages, like we find in his marriage to Zena Huntington and Helen Mark Kimball and others. Again, we use In Sacred Loneliness by Todd Compton as our primary source of information, and also Nauvoo Polygamy by George D. Smith. And I've about worn those books out, <laughs> I'm telling you. So let's talk about his 28th wife. She was Rhoda Richards Smith Young. <clears throat> now, Rhoda's brother was Apostle Willard Richards, who was Joseph Smith's scribe and uh, and disciple, and again, she was she was 20 years old when her brother Willard was born. Mm -hmm. There seems to be no suggestion of romance or courtship uh, that took place between Joseph Smith and Rhoda Richards, and after Smith was killed, she married Brigham Young, and there seems to be no romance between them either. In fact, Brigham Young was Rhoda's cousin. Rhoda was born in August of 1784 in Massachusetts. Her mother was Rhoda Howe, and she was the sister of Brigham Young's sister. Rhoda's niece wrote this about her, about young, when Rhoda was young. <clears throat> yeah, she says, Rhoda had a good common education. Lula described the young and middle-aged Rhoda. When grown, she was a little below medium height, possessed a small trim figure, and a face usually expressive of innocent fun and merriment. Her eyes were dark and brilliant. She was a girl and a woman of rare beauty. 
And of course, the picture we're showing on the screen is a much, much older Rhoda, of course. Rhoda almost died with the measles when she was a young child. And then later, she came down with the mumps and a terrible fever. And of course, children in those days suffered from yeah. all of the diseases. And terribly, some of them died from them. Right. Uh, of course, they didn't have immunizations against those diseases then. As an adult, she met and fell in love and became engaged, we quote. Yeah, at some point, she fell in love with and became engaged to Ebenezer Damon, a widower with one daughter. Ebenezer Damon was a man of sterling worth and integrity whom Rhoda loved as such a woman loves but once in a lifetime. And I find this interesting when we read about the rest of her life story. Personal diary, of, uh, Rhoda's personal diary begins in June of 1812 during a courtship with Ebenezer, a widower with a daughter, and Rhoda nursed his daughter through a terrible bout of whooping cough. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but I, I saw a, a young nephew with it. Oh my, it's horrible. In December of 1813, the tragedy of Rhoda's life took place. Yeah, this is so sad. After a long engagement, she and Ebenezer were due to be married soon. He arrived on December 15, but was feverish and had been so for two weeks after taking a chill in Boston. He was immediately bedridden in the Richards household. Rhoda and Mother Richards gave him constant attention, but Christmas did, did not find him in good health. However, on December 29th, he showed signs of improvement. The next day at sunrise, Ebenezer asked to be brought out of bed. Joseph Richards and Rhoda lifted him into a nearby chair, and she changed his linen, then helped him lay back down. Before the head was placed on the pillow, he said, What does ail me? I never felt so in my life. He settled down into bed and then was gone. Mm. Rhoda and her family worked frantically to revive him. He turned his head round a little, gasped but twice, and was gone. My fond hopes were then blasted. For what? God only knows. That would be very <laughs> so sad, sad yeah. yeah, in her life. And no doubt would have been much different. Uh, her life would have been much different had he lived and they were able to spend their lives together. Rhoda never really recovered from the, the loss of her sweetheart. In 1823, when Rhoda was 39 years old, she wrote that a cancer broke out on her side and she suffered a long bout of illness and terror and, uh, as a result of it. And she was bedridden for well over a year wow. and suffered for several years with cancer and other terrible illnesses. Now, Rhoda had been hearing curious stories during this time about this new Mormon religion and rumors that some of her cousins from Brigham Young's family had joined it. Well, eventually, Rhoda was introduced to this strange new religion of Mormonism, and she later um, converted. She believed it, and she later converted, but it took her about a year, mm. quote. Yeah, from uh, In Sacred Loneliness again. On June 2nd, Rhoda was ready to become a Mormon. She, she wrote, Sister Nancy and myself are baptized by hand of Brother Phineas, just below the garden a few steps from my father's door. She immediately received spiritual and physical blessings. In obeying the commands, I found great good. The Lord had a blessing in store for me. I had no need of medicine. Okay, well, that's interesting. Now, we've already talked about her illnesses, and she claims that she was healed, that she had no more need of medicine. But as we continue to discover more details of her life story, she actually needed a lot more medical help and medicines. In fact, despite promises of healing to Rhoda from Joseph Smith and, and other Mormons in the Mormon faith, Rhoda continued to have serious bouts of illness and sickness throughout the rest of her life. Mormonism did not cure her disease 
disease as she had initially claimed. Now, according to Todd Compton, there is a gap in Rhoda's diaries until January of 1843, where we find her at 58 years old, living in Nauvoo, where she met Joseph Smith. Mm. And by May, she was living in Joseph Smith's home. And on June 12th of 1843, she became his 28th plural wife. Again, she was almost 20 years older than he was. We quote from Nauvoo Polygamy. On Monday, June 12th, Rhoda herself, at age 58, the oldest of Joseph's wives, married her landlord and prophet. On that same day, Willard took a third plural wife. In fact, 1843 was a year of accelerated exchanges of favors among the elite of that city. And there was a lot of polygamy marriages that year. Now, the exchanges of favors that is mentioned there was a taking and giving of plural wives to one another in an attempt to create eternal family dynasties. It's interesting to note that although Rhoda was married twice in polygamy, she refers to herself as having passed through this life without a companion. We quote her thoughts about her marriage to Joseph Smith from page 569. In my young days, I buried my first and only love, and true to that affiance, I have passed com companionless through life, but am sure of having my proper place and standing in the resurrection, having been sealed to the prophet Joseph according to the celestial law by his own request under the inspiration of divine revelation. And to me, that's a very sad paragraph mm -hmm. because she says a lot and is depending a lot on something that is a myth. Yeah. And from that diary entry too, we can know that it was Joseph Smith who convinced her and maybe even coerced her into this plural marriage. But we need to tell you there is no celestial law of eternal marriage, eternal polygamy or eternal family. <laughs> All of these terms were coined by Joseph Smith to help him receive female favors under the guise of divine revelation. And the Bible's clear about this. Jesus Christ himself said there will be no status of marriage in heaven. Now, it was just a year later that Joseph Smith was killed, and less than a year after that, Rhoda Richard Smith married her cousin Brigham Young and became his 22nd wife. Several did that, right? <laughs> Several did that. Oh, yes. A yeah. lot of women did that. Yeah. Uh, she migrated west of Salt Lake City with the Mormons, and even though uh, she was a plural wife of Brigham Young, she was not a regular resident of Brigham Young's Lion House, where he housed most of his, or many of his wives here in Salt Lake City. Now, during the last 25 years of her life, Rhoda often took care of family and friends, even while she herself continued to suffer from ill health and several different illnesses and weaknesses. Rhoda was very much a part of the Mormon female hierarchy at that time, rubbing shoulders on a regular basis with other polygamous wives like Eliza Snow and Zena Huntington, Presendia Huntington, and others. Rhoda died January 17, 1879. She was 94 years old, and she left very little detail about her loveless polygamous marriages to either Joseph Smith or Brigham Young. And so my question as I was doing this, is that what God really is about when it comes to marriage? Loveless polygamous marriage? And she felt so companionless. Yeah. No, no love. No. Alone. You were laughing about Valentine's Day and certainly not much of that, I'm sure. And, and that, exactly. I was thinking of that during the Valentine's Day, you know, uh, celebration. I was doing sure. this uh, this script and I thought, Joseph Smith never got, his wives never got Valentine's <laughs> love from him. But anyway, I know some polygamists today that have the philosophy that the plural wife is responsible to make her own happiness. And if so, if she's not happy, it's her own fault. It's not up to her husband to make her happy. But God could not be the author 
of that kind of marriage. He told Adam that a man was to leave his home and marry his wife and cling to her. That sounds like monogamy and love to me. It doesn't sound like what polygamy is. And we're also taught in the Bible that God is love. Since he is love, how could he be the author of loveless and sometimes abusive plural marriages? It just doesn't connect. So his next wife, Joseph Smith's plural wife, number 29, her name was Desdemona Fulmer Smith Benson McLean. Wow. <laughs> so the last three last names are her marriages. Uh, Desdemona was born in October of 1809 in Pennsylvania. And her parents, I find this interesting, were Methodist. Yeah. And, and, and the history says that they gave their children a very strict religious upbringing. Mm. And after reading this story, we wish that they had taught them religious discernment as they were teaching them this religious upbringing. When she was a schoolgirl, a neighbor boy, and this I find extreme, the next two topics on this I find very interesting. interesting. When she was a schoolgirl, a neighbor boy claimed to be a prophet, and he claimed that during a two-year period of time, God revealed to him that all the churches were wrong. So now this is just a young neighbor boy. So he got his name removed from the church that he was attending, And then he walked around with a band of friends preaching a new doctrine and saying he wanted the same gospel that the early apostles preached. It's too bad he didn't read the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because that's the same gospel that the early Christians and apostles preached. preached. (laughs) Obviously, Joseph Smith wasn't the first person to embrace the idea of being a new prophet, bringing in a supposed restoration of a supposed lost gospel. Another interesting parallel with this young man and Joseph Smith's strange ideas was that water was to be avoided. Oh, we quote. Very interesting. One of his otter inspirations was that God had revealed to him that if he ever crossed a big stream of water, he would die in two years' time. He therefore avoided all waterways. But eventually his brother lay sick and dying on the other side of the river, and when Putnam was sent for, he could not refuse. He crossed over the river and there soon thereafter died. Well, it doesn't say how soon soon thereafter was. Uh, that the, the so-called prophecy was two years, but yeah. this sounds like it was... But anyway, that's, the power of suggestion can be so strong in people's minds. But we know from knowing our God that he's not the author of that kind of nonsense or tragedy. Now, didn't Joseph Smith have that kind of a reasoning somewhere about water? Well, he did. I think it was in section 61 of the Doctrine and Covenants. He said something about um, uh, that God blessed the water initially, but later on cursed it, and he put Satan in charge of it. And so, (laughs) uh, or the the Mormonism kind of has that concept that that Satan is over the waters. When Mormons are on missions, young Mormon men are on missions, are they disallowed from entering the water? Except maybe baptism. Well, they don't go swimming or anything like that. that. I think part of that is a moral situation. You know, you always have young ladies Uh, around water, and I think that's probably to help keep the boys... uh, 
Uh, that's interesting. Focused on other things than, than <laughs> girls in. Okay, no fun. Know, just don't yeah. have fun, right? <laughs> don't have fun. Uh, evidently, William Phelps claimed that he saw a vision of, of uh, they were having problems on the Missouri River, and William Phelps was with Joseph Smith and 10 other people or something like that. And there was a, he had a vision that the destroyer was riding on the face of the waters. And that's when Joseph Smith came up with came that revelation. revelation in Doctrine and Covenants. <laughs> but anyway, it's interesting that they had the two, I say my two different people, Joseph Smith and this young boy had the two different ideas, the same two ideas and yeah. not even knowing each other. <laughs> In 1829, Desdemona's family moved to Ohio where her parents bought a farm and they, they joined the Campbellite movement because they were also looking for a restoration of primitive Christianity. In 1835, they heard about a gold Bible. They eventually borrowed one so they could read it. And this gold Bible, of course, was Joseph Smith's Book of Mormon. Now, if they wanted the ancient gospel or the primitive Christianity, why in the world didn't they read the ancient Just book? Go to the Bible. <laughs> the Bible. <laughs> Soon after that, they met with two Mormon missionaries and they converted the family to Mormonism. And a year later, Desdemona got baptized. She was 28 years old. Now, Desdemona later moved to Kirtland where she received her patriarchal blessing. And during that time, uh, resistance and trouble because of some of Joseph Smith's odd policies <laughs> and doctrines were causing people to turn against him. But Desdemona stood strong. <laughs> she would not easily be persuaded against her new religion or her new prophet. We quote. Yeah, she remembered Oliver Cowdery, among others, saying to her, Are you such a fool as to go to hear Joseph, the fallen prophet? She stoutly replied, The Lord convinced me that he was a true prophet, and he has not told me that he has fallen yet. <laughs> <laughs> I might add that the spelling here is yeah. a little odd in some of this, but it's in the original, and that's the way right. she spelled. Desdemona was obviously completely taken in by this new Mormon religion. She accompanied the Mormons uh, in their exodus from Kirtland to Missouri in 1837. Then later they moved on to Illinois. And we find her living in Joseph Smith's household. Again. Uh, another one, and so many of them did, along with Elvira Cowles and the Partridge sisters. Okay. Now these women were plural wives of Joseph Smith, living with him and Emma. And under Emma's very nose, and yet unknown to her, they were secretly married to her husband. Living in the Smith household was an often repeated event in Joseph Smith gaining more and more plural wives. About her marrying Joseph Smith, we quote from page 581. According to her own affidavit, Desdemona married Joseph Smith in July with Brigham Young performing the ceremony. In her autobiography, she only mentioned the marriage obliquely. In the rise of polygamy, I was warned in a dream Emma Smith was going to poison me. I told my dream to Brother Joseph, and he told me it was true. She would do it if she could. <laughs> Thus, Emma Smith apparently knew about Desdemona's marriage to Joseph and was angry and jealous. Now, Emma, of course, would be angry and jealous, especially if and, she and, and Desdemona. Right there in the house. <laughs> right there, yeah, right under her nose there in her house. Uh, and especially if she and Desdemona had become close friends. Or instead of a dream, Desdemona could easily have been living in an active and very guilty conscience, which could have caused her nightmare. Yeah. 
so she moved out of the Smith home. And the following May, her brother went on a mission to promote Joseph Smith's campaign for the United States presidency. But Joseph Smith was killed a month later, June 27, 1844. And Desdemona, along with 33 other women, became a widow. In Sacred, Sacred Loneliness writes this about her brother David's activities after Smith died. David continued to be an important Mormon leader. On March 1st, 1845, he became a member of the Council of Fifty, a secret organization called the Kingdom of God that was intended to govern politically. Later in the same year, he became a polygamist, as was appropriate for a man of his status, marrying two wives at the same time. You know, that the way they handled those polygamous marriages shakes your head. Desdemona was 36 years old in January of 1846 when the Mormons were preparing to move out of Nauvoo. But before they left, she was endowed in the Nauvoo Temple. Just five days later, she was sealed to Joseph Smith for eternity. Mm. Ezra Taft Benson stood proxy, and then she was sealed to Ezra for time. Oh my goodness. So... She was his third plural wife. Now, Desdemona doesn't mention her husband Ezra in her diary. And in 1852, she divorced him and remarried again. But this was after they moved to Utah. In 1847, her husband Ezra married an 18-year-old girl as his fourth wife. And then he married his fifth wife, Lucinda Barton. So Desdemona is now just one of many. She wrote down some of her experiences after of living in Utah, and we quote again from In Sacred Loneliness. Of her early Utah experiences, Desdemona wrote only the following. The first year in this place I suffered with hunger. In the 1850 Salt Lake County census, Ezra T. Benson was living with four women, of whom the second was Desdemona C. Fulmer. And on July 12, 1851, Benson married a sixth wife, Olive Mary Knight, 21. So here we are, just more and more women added to the harem. And you know, the way they did this in Mormon polygamy, women just don't feel special to their husbands. No, not at all. Especially older women who were forced to give way to younger brides. And sometimes these their husbands would marry women, young girls, <clears throat> that were young enough to be their husband's daughters. It was September 21st of 1852 that Desdemona and Ezra were formally divorced. There's no doubt that it was very difficult for her to live with uh, and compete with so many wives. Then six months later, she married her third husband, Harrison Parker McLean, and her other husband, Ezra, <laughs> stood as witness to the marriage. So strange events in, in Mormon polygamy practices, historically and today. They might say it's okay. They might say it's okay with God. But when we read what God says about this stuff, it, th those things just are not okay. We quote about her experiences after marrying Harrison McLean. <clears throat> she lived with him a few years and with him had her only child. <clears throat> Unfortunately, the child was born and died the same year. We have none of the details of what must have been a harrowing ordeal for Desdemona, who was roughly 45. So it sounds like she, there, although she didn't leave a lot in her personal diary, it sounds like she was lonely, that she oh, yeah. you know, was left alone a lot. Of course, that would be true. <laughs> and it says she was hungry. I thought that the early Mormons took care of their own, and yet we find a lot of hunger in early yeah. Mormon polygamy. I don't think they could provide. Uh, it would be difficult to provide for five women and a num um, uh, certainly a number of children probably with the mm -hmm. same group of people. So, 
That's true. Yeah. Um, Desdemona, <clears throat> her story tells that she often went without food. Her autobiography gives a tragic account of hunger and struggle for survival in their, their early years in the Salt Lake Valley. She died February 9th, 1886 at the age of 76, and she was buried in the Salt Lake City Cemetery under the name Desdemona Fulmer Smith. No, she didn't. And we wonder why she didn't use her other names no, on the tombstone. Oh, interesting. Or why, well, she probably didn't. But anyway, her, <laughs> well, <I> did it. <laughs> yeah, her epitaph stated that she was a quiet, unassuming, faithful woman. She was greatly respected by all who had the pleasure of her acquaintance. And so completes the stories of Joseph Smith's 28th and 29th plural wives. We have only a few more stories of his wives to tell. He had 34, and now we, we finish the 29 wives. Each one is a story of its own separate tragedy. Some worse than others, obviously, but every single one of them does depict a sad and lonely woman, often stricken and living in poverty, and that, of course, like we said, was never God's plan for marriage. Uh, I'd, I'd like to mention on the that we just talked briefly on the hunger. Mm -hmm. um, in Joseph Smith and Brigham Young both tried to inaugurate the United Order in early Mormonism. United Order being that everybody is provided for equally. And it failed, obviously. But that's what today's polygamy groups do live. They live the United Order so that everybody's supposed to be provided for equally. And that's that's a fraud. It's a fake because it doesn't happen equally. And that's how they've gotten in trouble with the food stamps. Exactly. So on, right? uh -huh. Bringing those in and then sharing presumably with everybody, but it doesn't always happen. Well, really. no, it doesn't happen. The hierarchy gets the, the, <laughs> the most of it. But what's interesting is is if they had the, the United Order philosophy, why was there so much hunger in early Mormon Utah? Um, we did a story a long, long time ago, maybe we need to do it again, about Orson Pratt. He had uh, several wives, and he, he had a wife um, in Tooele, who had three children. One of them was a brand newborn baby, and he totally neglected her. She died of hunger. Oh my goodness. She actually died of hunger. Now, some of her neighbors did help feed her for a while, but his neglect was so horrible that the children suffered, a newborn baby, and she died of, of hunger as she tried to provide for them. So where is that compassion, the love, the United Order philosophy, where is all that in those very, stories? It doesn't sound very godlike, does it? No, no. no. And and Orson Pratt was, is one of the people that the Mormons hold in oh, pretty yeah. high esteem. Yeah, he wrote books and was is quoted quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. I just have never known that this there was so much of that uh, neglect. I just figured they had these uh, women as wives and they took care of them and were responsible, but I can see where that would be a problem. You have, mm -hmm. Brigham Young had what, 56 wives? 56 wives, not all you know, at the same time, right. you know, but through the years, you yeah. Could, or, or even, and then some of them, like you say, came and lived with Joseph Smith for a while and then left and, um, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. probably didn't even want to be public about the fact that they were married to him, at least initially. In some of it, yeah, yeah. in some of it, that's the, that's the case. And there was a lot of poverty in Joseph Smith's wives, too. He would, yeah. it, people would see the woman living in maybe a, a home with no windows, you know, and, <laughs> and they would try and help him. And, and so it was a very, it was a, it, of course, it was a rough time in the country, in the history of the sure. whole country, too. But if Mormonism is supposed to be so godly and 
and so caring and compassionate, and that's what plural marriage was supposed to be right. about. Why wasn't it about that? That's true. Why so? Anyway, we uh, thank you, Earl. Thank you. <laughs> you know, Jesus tells us in John 4:23 that God wants worshipers who worship Him in spirit and in truth. It isn't okay to worship God based on false beliefs. God does not accept any worship who is not willing to accept His truths of grace and faith and forgiveness and eternal life. We are called bigots sometimes when we say that there are not many ways to God, that Jesus Christ is the only way. But it was Jesus Himself who said that. We're only repeating what He said. Jesus Christ alone knows the way to God, and we get there only through Jesus and because of Jesus. There has been no time in human history, in biblical history, or in passages that polygamy has ever been pleasing to God. It has never helped Jesus save anyone, and it never will. Thanks for watching. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.